Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also by Policy Pack Software, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, mitigate ransomware, and more. And by Liquidware, the creators of Profile Unity, FlexApp, and Stratosphere UX, the premier UEM app layering and visibility solutions. If you enjoy the podcast each week, you have them to thank. And now for some news. On last week's episode of the podcast, I covered a story by an outlet called The New Statesman about NVIDIA planning to acquire ARM from SoftBank. I debated whether or not I would include it on the show because at that time I couldn't find any other reputable sources for the story. I opted to include it because I thought it was interesting and I just ensured to state that it was speculation at that time. And while reading the story, I asked whether it would turn out to be fiction or prophecy. Well, on Sunday, NVIDIA themselves posted that they are indeed set to acquire ARM. Even the rumored price of $40 billion could be true as NVIDIA mentioned that that's the valuation of the company. NVIDIA have stated that SoftBank will remain committed to ARM's long-term success through its ownership stake in NVIDIA, which is expected to be under 10%. Going a little against last week's report, the statement suggests a commitment to ARM with an intention to keep the company headquarters in the UK and to actually expand their research team. In their statement, they said, quote, ARM will remain headquartered in Cambridge. We will expand on this great site and build a world-class AI research facility supporting developments in healthcare, life sciences, robotics, self-driving cars, and other fields, and to attract researchers and scientists from the UK and around the world to conduct groundbreaking work. NVIDIA will build a state-of-the-art AI supercomputer powered by ARM CPUs. ARM Cambridge will be a world-class technology center, end quote. There was reportedly some concern that the UK was about to lose these lucrative, high-class, and probably well-paying jobs, but it seems that NVIDIA is committed to keeping those jobs there, which is good news for the UK. And it's looking like they're committed to keeping the ecosystem that they've built in place and developing it even further. It'll be interesting to see what they do with the ARM ecosystem in the future. Unfortunately, there's a really bad vulnerability in Active Directory domain controllers that everyone should patch right away. It has the highest possible severity rating and is one of those vulnerabilities that the U.S. government is urging companies to patch against. They don't always come out with a statement about each vulnerability, but for this one they have, so you should all take note. This vulnerability is listed as CVE-2020-1472, and the vulnerability has been given the name Zero Logon, as the only thing an attacker needs to gain domain admin is the ability to set up TCP connections with a vulnerable domain controller. 
And to make matters even worse, there are already exploits posted online, and Secura, the company who discovered the flaw, posted a comprehensive report on the flaw last week. So it's out there in the public already. ThreadPost.com state that the issue exists in the usage of AES-CFB8 encryption for net logon sessions. The AES-CFB8 standard requires that each byte of plain text have a randomized initialization vector blocking attackers from guessing passwords. However, NetLogon's compute NetLogon credential function sets the initialization vector to a fixed 16 bits that's not randomized, meaning an attacker could control the deciphered text. The article states that in a real-world attack, attackers could send a number of net logon messages in which various fields are filled with zeros, allowing them to bypass these authentication measures and access and change the computer password or the domain controller that is stored in AD, which of course is pretty bad. If you haven't already, get those domain controllers patched. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, has published a security advisory this week warning of a wave of attacks carried out by hacking groups affiliated with the Chinese Ministry of State Security. The list of targeted devices includes F5 Big IP Load Balancers, Citrix and Pulse Secure VPN appliances, and Microsoft Exchange email servers. Now, I've covered each of these vulnerabilities in detail on the podcast in previous episodes as they were disclosed. If this is the first time you are hearing that these vulnerabilities exist in these products, you should really do some research, and I'll share a link to the article that I'm referencing right now with this episode of the podcast, which is episode 142 on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. A few months ago, I reported on some outrage from people that Zoom was planning to only offer end-to-end encryption on its paid plans. They then backtracked on that announcement and decided to make it available for all, including those who were not paying. This week, bleepingcomputer.com has reported that Zoom have taken another large step ensuring up the security of their product. They have now added two-factor authentication to all accounts. In a statement by Zoom, they said, quote, With Zoom's 2FA, which is two-factor authentication, users have the option to use authentication apps that support time-based one-time password protocol, such as Google Authenticator, Microsoft Authenticator, and Free OTP, or have Zoom send a code via SMS or a phone call for that second factor of account authentication. In order to enable two-factor authentication on your Zoom account, you will need to sign into the Zoom dashboard. In the navigation menu, click Advanced, then Security. Make sure the sign-in with two-factor authentication option is enabled, and then select one of the options that's available to you on what form of two-factor authentication you'd like to use, and click Save to confirm your two-factor authentication settings. Gateway PCs are set to make an exclusive return to Walmart in the United States. TechRadar.com reported that Acer, who acquired Gateway in 2007 for $710 million, have partnered with Walmart on a range of notebooks and tablets. Gateway's new PC offerings will include mainstream laptops, 2-in-1s, the Ultra Slim series, and a Creator series. Additionally, new Gateway tablets will be available in multiple screen sizes and colors at Walmart's website. 
It's stated that the company's new laptops are powered by Intel processors and AMD Ryzen mobile processors with Radeon graphics. The ultra slim model starts at $200 and goes all the way up to $649, while the Creator series, which is the more high-end, features two 15.6-inch laptops for $899 and $1,199. Personally, I have soft spot for Gateway. I remember back in the early 90s when visiting my uncle in County Cork in Ireland that he had just bought a brand new Gateway PC for his office and he let me play some games on it. I've seen others in the community tweet similar trips down memory lane. They may not have been the best PCs out there, but the brand was very recognizable and was ever present through the 90s and part of the 2000s. Even though it's only going to be available through Walmart, so it's going to be pretty exclusive to America, it's good to see increased competition in the market for those customers. Two years ago on the podcast, I covered a story about Microsoft setting up a data center in the ocean just off Scotland's Orkney Islands. This was an experiment on the company's part that has now completed as they lifted the cylinder and its hundreds of servers from the seabed and some of the results are in and are pretty impressive. They found that just 8 out of the 155 servers that were on board failed. They say that Orkney Islands was chosen as a location as they have a center for renewable energy research. All of Orkney's electricity comes from wind and solar power, but there were no issues in keeping the underwater data center supplied with power. Not hugely surprising because I think almost all of Ireland and the UK's power is now supplied by wind, so... But cool nonetheless. Microsoft are said to still be putting together their findings as they only just lifted the cylinder, but it is thought that possibly some short-term data centers could be placed under the ocean to benefit from the natural cooling that is key for a healthy data center. And obviously the results speak for themselves. It seems like the hardware has a little more life in it when it's under the ocean. Morris Daily has released version 6.4.9 of the driver automation tool. Among the features is more options and enhancements around package compression, the switch from Hewlett Packard to HP for those drivers, and there's also been some enhancements around queries. For more detail on those features, check out the announcement which I'll share with this episode of the podcast. Paul Winstanley's wonderful Just a Couple of Jerks podcast has reached its finale for season one. And what a finale! He had the awesome Niall Brady from Windows-Noob.com on. If you haven't listened to the podcast yet, you should know that while Paul sits down to talk with people in the community, the discussion is not really tech-focused. It's interesting to get to know the people behind the blogs and Twitter accounts that we're all familiar with. It's also interesting to hear about how everyone copes with their day job, work-life balance, and what their actual passions outside of work are. This would be a great time to start listening, as you can get through all of Season 1 in one go, just like if you're one of those people who likes to binge on new seasons on Netflix and Hulu and all that good stuff. And now, this episode's Scripts, Tricks, and Tips. The awesome Remco shared a really interesting PowerShell script that he created 
which allows you to create registry symbolic links. So symbolic links are typically associated with directories. And if you're not familiar with symbolic links, uh, some of the ability around symbolic links is to maybe, for example, on an old Citrix ZenApp server, if you had a file that needed to be unique and writable for each user, but also required to be in a per machine location by the application, one of the ways you could have got around that was by creating a symbolic link to allow the app to see that it's in its per machine location, but it's actually writing to a per user location instead. And if you combine symbolic links for files and for directories and registry, you've got the basis for building your own type of application virtualization if you really want to. It's definitely cool and worth checking out. Billy York shared some tips and queries that you can use to pull WVD profile load information. He gives you the code to do it and steps through showing each step in retrieving that information with the scripts. So it's not just taking some random script that you don't really know how it works. He'll actually step you through it in the blog post on what you're doing to grab that information. Adam Bertram, who you may know better as Adam the Automator from AdamTheAutomator.com, shared an interesting PowerShell script for copying to the clipboard. Now, it's something that maybe not all of us will need to do programmatically, although I'm sure it comes up from time to time. So it'll probably have limited appeal, but I'm actually working with Automate right now on creating some automation scripts. So something like this may come in handy for me. So I figured it was worth sharing with all of you too. And finally, before I wrap for this week, I just wanted to share a link to a survey. If you guys wouldn't mind helping me out, I've been promoting the fantasy football competition over the last few weeks on the podcast. Well, one of the spot prizes for the league is an Amazon gift card for the person who's deemed to have the best team name. And in order to choose the person with the best team name, I put all the team names on a survey monkey survey, publish the link and let people vote. So if you're listening to the podcast on a laptop, a tablet or phone or whatever, if you wouldn't mind going to 5bytespodcast.com and going to the reference links for this episode and clicking on the survey that will be at the top of that page and just voting for which one you think is the best, I'd appreciate that. I'll also put a link to it within the description field for this episode on your podcast platform of choice. Well, that's it for another week. Thank you all so much for listening.